morning about the upper room. I know a lot of times when I'm thinking ahead towards Easter, and of course in college, I took a course that was called the final week. And it took in from uh, the Gospels where from uh, the triumphal entry of Jesus until, if you would, the end of the Gospels, that final week. But there is probably just as much can be taught about what took place in the upper room and the importance of it uh, as there would, if you would, in all that week going up. The final hours in the upper room, as far as I'm concerned, probably are more impactful, especially for us as Christians today, than quite a bit of other teachings in the Scripture. So I'm going to teach on it. It's probably going to take me a few weeks, maybe a couple months. If I go two or three hours a week, I ought to be able to get it in by Christmas. But... Uh, I heard uh, Sister Jeanette Flynn speak on it once at the camp meeting about some of the importance of the things that took place in the upper room. Since then, I've gotten a couple of books that um, express a lot of thought about the upper room experience. And since God was leading me that way, I just thought, we'll just go with the flow, right? If God says say it, that's what I'm going to do. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke the 22nd chapter, I'm going to turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to speak on your eternal word and draw strength from it. Ask, Lord, that you would just help us to understand how important it was to your son and to the disciples as to the final thoughts that he had for them to be the missionaries, the the apostles, the preachers for the church that was to come. So we ask that you to help us to take counsel from this uh, study and time together that, Lord, we would be more in tune with what you want your people to know and say. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read in Luke 22. I'm going to read just about, what, 11 verses or so. I'm starting in verse 7. And read down through verse 18. And all this is, is uh, the beginning of how they got into the upper room. In verse 7, Then the day of unleavened bread, then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go, prepare us the Passover, that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where? without that we should prepare. And he said unto them, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he enters in. And ye shall say unto the good man of that house, I don't know if that's the same man or not, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them. And they made ready the Passover. 
And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, gave thanks, and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. This all takes place, if you would, leading up to and into the upper room. It doesn't take long for me to read it, but I'm sure it took a few more minutes to say it. So we need to be attentive to what happened there because Jesus said I, he desired with great desire to be with the disciples. When I'm, I'm reading that, are you following along? Am I messing up some words? I get it pretty close. I, in mine, for some reason, the red letters I can't see very well. The black letters I do okay. So I, I know what John and, and Peter said. It's just what Jesus said. It's hard for me to read. I've got to really squint to read that. But if I mess it up, it's up there. Straighten me out later, okay? But in verse 7, where he starts this, he's come down to the time in his life when he knows, as a matter of fact, he's one day left on this earth. Hmm. This is an important time. How many of you went to college? No? A couple of us? Do you know the first day in every class I went into, the first thing the professor taught us after he took attendance was, well, we're going to do these kind of quizzes along the way. That's going to count for one-third of your grade. And then we're going to do another mid season or midterm of this term kind of test that's going to count another third and then we're going to have a final exam on the last day you come to this class that's going to count for another third of your test scores or what grade you will receive from taking this class now if you're going to pass the class you got to get certain level of and if you want to stay in the school, if you want to stay at college, you have to have what they call a grade point average that meets the standard of that school. Otherwise, you're asked not to come back. You're uh, taking up a seat for somebody that does want to learn, and, and evidently you're not putting forth that much effort. I have found that going through college doesn't take that much effort. I just have to admit. All you got to do is listen to what the professor says and repeat it. When it comes time to repeat it, and uh, that you'll probably pass the course. You may not believe it, because I took a biology course, and I listened to everything that guy said, and I got an A in that biology course, and he taught stuff I didn't believe in at all. But when it come time to test, I was smart enough to put on the paper the things that he thought so that I'd pass with an A rather than my thought. He taught evolution, and I didn't believe that at all, and I never did tell him no different. He thinks I'm an evolutionist because I got an A in that class. Well, no, I'm not. All right, but the only reason I say that is when it comes down to the final exam in a course, whether high school or wherever, 
you know, you, you need to pass that because it's going to reflect big time on what kind of score you're going to have in that class. You understand that? Jesus even knew that. This is the final exam for his 12 disciples, soon to be 12 apostles. They are going to have to take, if you would, the torch that he's carried in building the church that God wanted built, and as he's put on the cross, put in the grave, come out of the grave and ascend back to heaven, they're going to have to take it from there, if you would. Now, granted, the word of God in their hearts, the word of God through the Holy Spirit, all that's going to be working with them. I'm sure they probably took notes along the way. They probably even had sessions um, that's not even recorded in the Bible where they sat down and talked about it. You remember that time he talked about sowing the seed and he called that the word of God? You know, one of these days we're going to get to do that. Wouldn't that be cool? We could take the word of God and plant it and it's going to grow, Christians. Well, they didn't understand. But they realized when the Spirit gets a hold of those teachings, it makes sense. Okay? Those are spiritual teachings. Amen? So he says here, we're going to go into this final week of Passover. I have to say to you, it's Passover to a Jew in the first century was very important. It was the key. Amen? Now next week, Next Monday, we're going to celebrate the 4th of July. You know, they're going to give us a day off with pay. Sounds good, doesn't it, Mike? <laughs> day off with pay, hallelujah, amen. So, and when you're retired, you get the same thing every day. Now, those, that day means something, but around the world... You know, the Americans are only is less than 5% of the world population. 5%. And yet we think everybody's celebrating the 4th of July because all we can see is the little corner of the world that we live on. Amen? There are people in China that could care less about the 4th of July or Vietnam or anywhere else. You name it, they don't care. Amen? It doesn't mean anything to them because it wasn't their Independence Day. But for a Jew... The Passover was a day that God commanded that they never forget. And as far as that's concerned, they even set up a week of unleavened bread just to get everybody thinking and being on the right page to get in the right mindset to celebrate the Passover on that day last day of that week. Pretty important. Well, in verse number 7, it states that it was the, uh, the day of the week of unleavened bread when the Passover lamb must be killed. Now, you understand, uh, you might even want to ask, why did they kill the Passover lamb? Well, most of us already know that. Number one, because God said so. That's good enough right there. But, God said, do it. Amen. He said it to Moses in the wilderness, and God specifically instructed about the Passover feast to remind the people of God, or the Jews, or the children of Israel, or whatever you want to call them, the people that God brought out of Egyptian bondage and slavery, 
And there was a command given to kill a lamb. This is while they were still in Egypt. Told Moses how to do it. Kill this lamb. When you kill it, how do you kill it? Don't hit it over the head with a stick. Don't punch it in the stomach or... No, they slit its throat. Oh, well, that's where the juggler veins are. You know what? You can slit a throat like that and pull it open, and it'll basically hang that lamb up, and it'll empty every drop of blood in it just about. It'll clear it out, and they just put a pan under it to catch the blood. The blood's what they needed. All right? Now, we'll explain that. Of course, most of you know where we're going with the blood and all that. But he says, take that blood... Now, I don't know whether he used the sponge. I don't know if they used, just grabbed it with their hands and slung it or whatever. He said, sprinkle that blood on the doorpost of every house where my people live. Not the Egyptians, just my people. Because I'm going to send the death angel. He's going to go throughout the whole land of Egypt. He's going to look in one night. He's going to pass by every house in Egypt. If there's no blood on the doorpost, the firstborn child in that house is going to die. But when he comes to the doorpost of the children of Israel and he sees the blood, po uh, blood on the doorpost, he's going to pass over that house and go to the next one. That's where the Passover comes in. Those people weren't killed, if you would. They were allowed to live. And God, uh, when he sent this final, if you would, plague towards Pharaoh and the Egyptian people, then God got to move in that situation. So the firstborn in every house that did not have blood on the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, they, they died that night. Every house of every Egyptian the next morning had a funeral to plan. That's not a fun time, but it's a necessary time. Next, they were to prepare that lamb. What's that mean? Well, Bonnie and I do that, but we do it with deer. When I get one, we, I field dress it, bring it home just the, the body of the deer, and we skin it out. We take it in, we debone it, we put the meat and clean it, then we freeze it, and then later on it's what we eat. Well, they didn't bother freezing it because they didn't have any deep freeze, but they went ahead and cooked it and prepared the entire lamb. All right? And if you were in a family that was so small you couldn't eat a whole lamb, not all of us can eat a whole lamb. Some of us can, some of us can't. We were to come together because there was to be no leftovers from that meal. Amen. Now, Bonnie fixed a roast, potatoes, and carrots Friday night. I'm still eating them. We, and they're still leftovers. And I'll have some more probably tomorrow night from it. Amen. That's only when she fixes a meal, it's usually for three days. We have leftovers, but we have refrigerators and freezers to keep it in. Right? They didn't have them. God said, I don't want none of this lamb to waste. Make sure you kill enough lambs that that's how much all of you can eat. And if you can't eat it, invite somebody over to help you eat it. Okay? So that was the deal. So they combined it to families and they took it on. He also told them one other thing special about this meal. Do it with your shoes on. 
Did you know they had their shoes on when they ate? And that is definitely against all the Jewish customs that they've ever been, if you would. Still, in that part of the country today, and even in Bonnie's house, you take your shoes off before you tramps in, right? Because it's hard to clean up grease out of the garage off of the hardwood floor. So they take the shoes off, then go in. Not this time. You eat this meal fully dressed with your shoes on. Because there's going to become an exit in the morning after this meal when Pharaoh says get going and we need to be ready to go right now. Have your bags packed and ready to move. Well, they did that. So the death angel went throughout all Egypt, killed the firstborn of everyone that did not have the blood of a lamb on their doorpost. And after they exited Egypt, went across the Red Sea into the wilderness, God set up this feast called the Passover with Moses and gave him specific how to observe this feast and how to observe this yearly reminder of what God did for, their, for his people. Now in our text, this is the time of year that they need to be reminded again and being observed by the children of God or the Jews um, and many generations after. Now, that's been almost 1,700 years since God gave that command to Moses to the day we read about here in our scriptures. All right? You got that picture? 1,700 years don't mean nothing to God. That's just down the street. All right? So the, the, the purpose for this Passover every year, after they've eaten unleavened bread for a week, you know what unleavened bread is? It's bitter. It's, yeah. They're used to sweet bread with leaven in it, and oh, it tastes good. That's one thing everybody ate at every meal. They had to watch their carbs, brother. And so we have to be sure that they know that this was a special week. They knew it because of what they ate. They knew it about what took place in this week. They knew everything about it. And when they observed this one, it's a time for every family to get together, kill a lamb, eat the whole thing, no leftovers, and while they're eating it, the head of the house, the father, the mother, grandpa, whoever, takes time to read and remind the children growing up, year after year, why that Passover took place. It was a definite reminder of how God dealt with the children of Israel in years gone by. The scripture tells us that even Jesus, as a young boy, his family says in the scriptures, every year went to the Passover. So it was drilled into him as a young child, and guess what? He's carrying it on as a man, if you would, in his adult life. He's carrying on, if you would, that custom or tradition or whatever you want to call it. But the feast that goes forth, he wanted to be a part of it every year. This year... It'd be kind of a special feast for Jesus because God was going to do some miraculous things at the end of this Passover. You know what they are. You know that Christ is going to be the new lamb that was sacrificed and his blood would be the ones that would uh, be shed for the sins of the people. All right. 
Those, the reason they did it, number one, God said so. Number two, the reason they killed the lamb on this day, because it had to be prepared for that evening's meal. Again, no refrigeration, no freezers. It, when, it, when they killed it, um, it has to be taken care of right away. Now, what time of year it was or whatever, I, that's kind of uh, the temperature outside, we don't really know. I know what month it was in, don't we, Dennis? It was in Abib. First month of the year, third week of that first month of the year, that's in the Old Testament. We studied that when we studied the history. And we found out that in that time, they killed that lamb and butchered it to eat in this particular uh, Passover. So it was important that they did it at the right time when they were going to eat the lamb. Okay, the third reason was the slaughter of the lamb on this day was so that the high priest who went into the holy of holies in the temple once every year and not without blood for the sacrifice of his sins and the sins of all the Jewish people. So he had to have that blood to take in for that sacrifice. Everybody got all that? We know all this. This is old stuff for us. But I'm kind of laying a, a foundation here. That blood was the sacrifice on the altar for the sins of the people. So in verse number 7, all of this was done and really not much was said about it. Nobody asked, you know, huh, who's killing the lamb? What are we doing with the blood? Where does it go? How does it happen? What's... Not a whole lot said from the scriptures. Do you know that, that this particular um, portion of scripture is uh, in three gospels? And they kind of, they, they let there's enough there to let you know they're talking about the same thing, but they all give different uh, wording to it or how it comes out. So for us to know what went into the Passover, for them, after 1,700 years, they could get it right. They knew what was going on, right? They got it. Again, it's no different than we as Americans. You know what you're supposed to do on the 4th of July? Huh, hello? How many years you've been alive? Well, that's how many years you've celebrated the 4th of July. Well, the same is with the, the Jews, if you would, uh, on uh, the Passover week. Now, although this Passover had been in place in their culture for hundreds of years, this particular Passover is going to have some changes made to it about the meaning of this Passover for the rest of eternity. This one's not going to change, but it's going to be a reflection of what God wants done for his people in the day and time when Jesus put this Passover together, if you would, with his disciples. Now, God gave his only begotten son to transform the Passover from year-to-year -year forgiveness of sin to an eternal forgiveness of sins and that the blood of the spiritual lamb, Jesus Christ, would be slain once for all and they wouldn't have to slay the lamb anymore year by year and eat the lamb 
that was slain. In all the Passovers before, seemingly, no one was in charge of the feast but God. I don't read a thing in here where the high priest did anything different on this day than he had done for 1,700 years. I don't read anything different where the king stood up and said, Now, guys, remember, this, this is Passover week. You've got to behave yourselves. Now, there's none of that. The Jews knew. It is so ingrained in them that they knew exactly what to do. If you was raised in a home and you told a fib and your parents found out about it, what do you think would happen? They would say there's some training needs to be done. After you do it a few times, you learn. That's not acceptable behavior. You know there are things that I do at my house now and I can't even tell you what they are, but I know I do them just because that's the way my mom and dad did it or that's the way I was raised or grandpa said to do it. I mean, I carry two Buckeyes in my pocket all the time. You know why? My grandpa said, if you do that, you'll never have arthritis. Well, look at this gorgeous body, huh? <laughs> Amen. Buckeyes must be the difference. That's all I can say. Amen. There are things that way. Traditions, customs. We do them without even questioning. And I can guarantee you next Monday, 4th of July, you're going to wake up and say, huh, this is a great day, the 4th of July, and you'll go right on through that day doing what you've done for the last however many years you've lived on the 4th of July. Well, so Jesus comes to the conclusion this is going to have to be taken seriously because he knows this is his last Passover. He knows he's the Passover lamb for the next day to be killed. Not this day. This day was for the Jews. The next day, he's the Passover lamb for the church. Got it? Amen. So in verse 8, to make this a special Passover, he sends Peter and John to go prepare for this Passover. All right. Why Peter and John? I have no idea. Do you know that the, this particular preparation is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke? gospel, alright? And none of the other two, Matthew and Mark, don't even mention which disciples. He said he sent two disciples, but it didn't name them, okay? And John picks up the fact that this was a special Passover and what took place in the upper room, and he's got a lot to say about it, and I think it's because he was one of the two that Jesus sent to prepare it. So he wanted it to probably be a successful one since he's on the ground floor putting it together. Amen? So there you go. So that's what we have in that. So John has a whole lot to say about it uh, in his gospel. And in the weeks to come, hopefully, we'll be telling you a whole lot more about what took place in that upper room and how it can be an advantage to us. So now brace yourselves because I'm not going to pass over what happened in that upper room lightly. I studied it and want to put some emphasis on the teaching of that room that might be because of the importance it was to the people as well 
as to Christians today. The Passover lamb is our key to accessful life and a successful walk with God. Along with the command given to prepare the room for the meal, Jesus forgot, I say that forgot, one thing he didn't forget, but he never said where to do it. He said, go prepare it. Well, your first question would be, where, right? Well, that's the same one Peter and John had. Where? That's what he said in verse 9. Where are we going to do this at, Lord? Well, pay close attention. I'll tell you exactly where it's going to be. Isn't that something? So he said in verse 10, he said unto them, Aha! Uh -huh, this is where it's going to be. Now, he didn't tell them, get your iPhones out. And I'll give you the GPS and you follow it till you get to the right place. He didn't say go down Main Street. He didn't say go to the big building that's got the black shutters. He didn't try to describe the building to them in any way. He just went and told them that when they go into town, they're going to meet a man carrying a pitcher of water. Huh. Well, actually, the man's going to meet them. In reality, is what the scripture does say. All right? But the two of you is going to meet this fella. He's probably going to introduce himself. He may know you and you may not know him or it may be something that they've had uh, in Passovers in the past. It's the same guy that joined them for those Passovers. Don't know. Don't even want to speculate on him. But he says, behold. To me, that means pay attention. Let's get it right. This is how it's going to happen. That's what the word behold means to me. When you enter the city... There's going to be a man meet you. And he's going to be carrying a pitcher of water. Well, in the first century, that's kind of common. I'd say water, they didn't have running water in the house. They couldn't just open the spigot and draw out the water they're going to need to prepare this room. Amen. They may have to wash the dishes. I mean, they haven't used them since last year, so they're probably dusty and dirty. Amen. They're going to have to do some cooking. How are they going to cook this without some water? How are they going to clean up without water? What about the tables? They're going to have to be wiped down, right? Going to need, well, everybody's carrying water. To me, it kind of blows me away when Jesus says, man's going to see you carrying water. When they guys come into the city, you know, many thousands of people they're going to meet carrying water. But only one's going to meet them. They may meet thousands, but only one's going to meet them. That's the difference. Jesus knows how to do it. I don't know whether he's going to carry the water. You know, they used to carry them on their head. Did you ever see the pictures they put on their head and they just walk down the street full of water? I'd give me a neck ache doing that. Maybe they, uh, they have a stick with two buckets or whatever and they put them on their shoulder and walk down the street. With, maybe he had the pitcher out here carrying it. On his, you know, I don't know. Maybe he had ropes tied and carry it like a bucket. I don't know how he's carrying it. He didn't even tell them. It could have been any kind of carry, if you would, but it didn't matter because they were told that this man's going to meet them. Amen? So, it says, when you see this guy or when he meets you, you'll know, follow him to the house where he's going. Notice, no questions were posed by Peter and John about that. 
They didn't say, what kind of picture? Was it a right-handed, left-handed? Is it on his head or on his feet? Is it on his shoulders or on his back? Amen. I don't know about you, but I got something heavy to carry, like water's eight pounds a gallon. That gets heavy after a while. You know, when I carry corn out to feed the deer, you know what I do? I throw it up on my shoulders, on the back of my neck, and I have just as much on the right as I do the left, and up the mountain I go. Amen. That's the easiest way to get it there. 50 pound of corn, no problem. Here we go, up the mountain. Amen? And water's just as heavy. Who knows how they carried it or what the deal was. That's not important. The important thing is that they did do what Jesus said. No questions even asked by Peter or John. For example, the Lord there was going to be several people carrying waters. Can you be a little more specific How's he carrying it? Where is it going to be? How are we going to know it's the right guy? Well, they didn't even bother to ask because they knew if Jesus has got this, if you would, set up for them, it's always going to work out. Amen. He never makes a mistake when he gives us directions. Did you know that? So when God gives you directions to do something for him, it always works out. You're going to say, how's that work? That don't even make sense. It works out. Trust me, it has. Everywhere in the city, or everyone in that city, uh, was getting ready for the Passover. Very large crowd. Everyone was preparing. Everyone is in need of water. And yet, the disciples just knew it was going to work out. Notice, there shall be a man meet you. In other words, he's waiting on you. Will you guys hurry up? I told you to go. Go get. He's standing there waiting on you, and his water's probably boiling while you're wait, holding him up. Let's go. Amen? So off they go. Then in verse 11, once they get to the house, there is something they're supposed to say to the good man of the house. What is it? The master. The master saith unto thee. Peter and John's not saying it. I'm not telling you what to do, you good man of the house. I'm not telling you what we should do in your property. But the master, aha, that's the key. Amen. But he said, I'm speaking from the master. Where is the guest chamber? That's what we call the upper room. In the scriptures, it is referred to as the upper room later on in the scriptures. And we know much about that because it's, it's influencing these fellows even up past the day of Pentecost. Think about that too. How about that? That's quite a while. All right. So the, uh, they find the guest chamber. And if uh, I had been chosen to go to do this preparation, I would have said to Jesus, I, wait, before you give me this, let me get a piece of paper and a pencil. Let me write this down. I don't want to make any mistakes. I'm going to meet this guy on the street carrying water. No, he's going to meet me. No, I would have still messed it up. Even if I wrote it down, I probably got it wrong. But Jesus sends them, and they go, and everything works out the way it should. Amen? And I probably would have been with my partner, Peter and John. They probably rehearsed 
what Jesus said all the way to the city so they wouldn't forget what they were supposed to do. Amen. I probably still would have got my part wrong, but my partner would have helped me out. But this time, the Holy Spirit's going to go with them. He's going to help them remember how important this is to the Master. This is not only so important to Jesus, this is his fulfilling of God's will on his life, and he wants to make sure he gets it right because God is counting on him in a special way of doing this. So in verse 12, the good man of the house will show you the room that's furnished. There, make ready. Well, if it's already furnished, what do they got to do? Well, there's a lot of things. They got to have the bread ready. They got to have the cups ready. They got to have the cups filled. They got to do a lot of things. Everything was just exactly the way Jesus said it. And they made ready the Passover. Now, we could probably go into the details of what the readiness meant. Don't need to. All we need to know is they took care of it. But that, there'd be no point to it. The point is, get ready. Huh, I think I've heard that other places in the gospel. You need to be ready. Amen? Well, here we have it. When they say ready, even Peter and John didn't realize how many times they'd return to that room in the next several days. But it turns out that Jesus and the rest of the disciples show up in verse 14 and all of them sat down ready for the meal. Ready is important. Now, in verse 16 and 17, uh, it, we're going to bring it to a close here kind of quickly here. Jesus gathers them at the table and said, With desire I have desired. Sounds like this is pretty important to Jesus. Amen. My uh, King James Version in the side margin says, I have heartily desired. This was super important to Jesus that they all have this meal together. And he wants to eat this Passover, he tells them there in that verse. He wants to do it before he suffers. Suffer what? It ain't, it ain't indigestion from eating too much lamb. It's not because the bread's unleavened that he has to suffer. No, he's talking about his death, and they knew it. Amen? He says, I want to do this before I suffer. Jesus realized this was his last meal. You understand that? Now, did you know when a prisoner gets put on death penalty, before they administer the capital punishment, he's entitled to his last meal. He can choose what he wants to eat. They will fix it as best they can the way he wants to eat it. And he'll have a special place he can go to by himself. He won't have to eat dinner with all the rest of the prisoners 
for that meal goes and it's quiet he I think he can even ask for special music I think he can ask for a lot of special things about that last meal because they know it's his last meal amen Jesus knew this was his last meal amen so he wanted to make sure that it all worked out to the way he wanted it to work out. Amen? This is another prophecy about the kingdom of God. Because that's what he says here in verse 16. For I say unto you, I will no more eat thereof until I fulfill, till be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The church. Jesus said he's going to build his church. You know, the church wasn't built until Christ gave his life on the cross of Calvary. Amen? And when he got done on the cross of Calvary, the last thing he said was, it is finished. What was finished? The old law's gone, the new church is put in place. Amen? So that's what he was talking about. Not until the kingdom of God which is the same as the church, comes to pass. Now, we know that Jesus did eat once more with the disciples after he was crucified, but he didn't eat with them anymore. He never had another bite to eat, as far as I can tell from Scripture, from this meal till after he resurrected out of the tomb. Huh. Remember, Jesus said he had built his church, and now the church is going to be established when Jesus is nailed to the cross of Calvary. Just like with every meal, it was Jesus' turn to say grace. Now, I'm a pastor. When I go out to eat, it usually falls on me to say grace. Now, sometimes Bonnie said, you always say it. Let somebody else say it. Okay, so sometimes I'll let someone else say the grace. But for the most part, I'm prepared to thank God for whatever's on that table when we sit down to eat. Amen? It may be just crackers and baloney, but I'm thankful. Amen? So whatever it is, I want to do that. And that's what Jesus did. He wants to say grace over the provisions on that table and told them to pass it around and share it with everybody. Now, he just talks here in verse 17 that he took the cup and gave thanks and told them to pass it around and everybody get some. Okay? But it, that was probably just their way of saying the meal, okay? The cup was what they passed around for everybody to get some of, but they probably passed around the unleavened bread. They probably passed around the sop. Remember the sop that he said Judas Iscariot was going to dip the bread into? Oh, that must have been on the table. He must have shared that with everybody along with the lamb. No leftovers of the lamb. We got to eat it all, right? So everything that he prepared, he gave thanks for. Of course, he just mentions the cup because as he passed that cup around, each one, probably a bigger cup, poured into little cups as it went around. I don't know exactly uh, for what the intent was there, but that's what the scriptures teach us, and I understand what's going on there. So now that the provisions are on the table, they're passed around, they're shared, now, I'm sure it was the same way with everything that was on that. Lamb, bread, everything. And Peter, John, and the good man of the house, they made carefully 
prepared all of that stuff to be what Jesus needed. But the cup was all Jesus brought to the disciples' attention at that time because look at verse number 18. He says, I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine. He always refers to it as the fruit of the vine. You don't hear Jesus use the word wine like a lot of ch churches teach that they drank wine up. No doubt it was a wine. No doubt it was grape juice or whatever you want to say it was. But that's all considered fruit of the vine. But here we find that uh, he said that until the kingdom of God is come. In reality, that's the next day. Matter of fact, it's within a few hours that the kingdom of God is going to take place and have precedent over a lot of the things that took place prior to the crucifixion of Christ. Amen. So here we find that when he says this and he passes it around, uh, what we see here in, in verse number 18, he says, For, what's that mean? Because I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. Amen. Now the kingdom of God has come for us. Amen. It's a matter of choice. If you and I want to be a part of it, be part of the church, that's our choice. We don't have to be. You don't have to do anything. You know, I was thinking about that cup as he passed it around with the fruit of the vine in it. You know, that's a spiritual symbol of the blood of Christ. As they were passing that around, I'm sure as they thought about that later in life, that they were passing that around. You know what? That represents what Jesus did on the cross for us as they were passing it around and he gave thanks for it. Amen? So here we are. The preparation's been done. The cup's full. It's ready to be shared. We need to accept Jesus' sacrifice for sin and be the people that God wants us to be and be delivered from the sin that the enemy has tried to entrap us in. Amen? I'm going to focus on the importance of this room in the next several times that I speak because of how important it is for the church and for the people that want to walk with God. But this morning, we need to put ourselves in that room with Jesus. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, we need to follow the commands that he gave his disciples because the church is going to be his group of personal Passover believers and when they take heed to what Jesus said in that room they'll never be the same again what they do after they come out of that room they will never forget the only one that messed up in that room was Judas of course that was kind of, if you would, in the cards because God knew about it before he did it. And all of this took place because of what God wanted his son to establish when he said, I will build my church. When the kingdom of God comes to pass, all of this stuff will come back to your memory. How? 
by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. The two witnesses that they left behind to help us understand what the Word of God and the Spirit of God have to say to our hearts individually. Amen? All right. That's all I've got for this morning. How's that sound? And I've got two more minutes till 12 o'clock. But I just want to say this. God is interested in us following every detail of every command of everything as far as our lives from the Passover of Jesus Christ just as much as he made the Jews follow every dot and tittle of all the commands before this particular Passover that we just read about. They didn't miss nothing in that. It was carried out to the T in every household, by every priest and every high priest. Everything went according to the commands of God. That's what the church should be doing today. Following everything to the T that God gave for us as his children. Amen? And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it. Let's